Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. David Milan silenced the doubters with a series of match-winning knocks in South Africa this week. Australia made the pre-series predictions that we made last week sound quite silly quite quickly. And New Zealand made the perfect start to a potentially historic month for them. I'm Yazrana and with me today is the managing editor of Wisdom.com, Ben Gardner. The editor-in-chief of Wisdom Cricket Monthly, Phil Walker. And the magazine editor of Wisdom Cricket Monthly, Joe Harmon. Before we start today's show, a lot of listeners have shared screenshots of their Spotify wrapped lists that showed us the top of their respective lists, which we are very thankful for. Um, great to see. Thanks for listening, everyone. Joe, let's kick things off with your moment of the week. Uh, well, you know what this is, don't you, Yaz? It was uh, David Milan's three-ball takedown of your blog on, on wisdom.com. Um, you had suggested that Milan's slow starts might come back to bite England at some stage. So Milan started by hitting 4-4-6 four, four, from his first three balls. 26-ball uh, 50. Ends on 99 not out from 47 deliveries. And as you said, he silenced his doubters. But obviously, it is a bit unfair if I pick you out here because uh, you asked us all to, or Ben asked us all to pick our England sides before the start of this series. And Ben, who's looking smug over there, uh, was the only person to put Milan in their 11, which kind of obviously looks rather stupid now. Um, I think, in fairness, I think we would all say we none of us didn't think Milan was good enough. It was more to do with the fact that there were players who we thought were perhaps better. But I think if you were... Picking a T20 World Cup final side tomorrow, who would obviously be in it. He's he's certainly ahead of Jason Roy in the pecking order at the moment. Um, it, the crux of it seems to come down to: do people think Milan can sustain this? And and that's I think that was the the focus of your blog really. Like it, it's fine if he's doing this, but what happens when it doesn't work? But he's done this long enough now that I think we just have to say what an excellent T20 batsman is. And the innings he played in the second T20, um, where he got a bit stuck I think it was 20 off 25 balls is that right 25 off 30 25 off 30 balls um I was getting a bit worried for him because it looked like he might cost England the game in the end he starts playing some shots and 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 pretty much wins it for them now if Chris Gale or Williamson or Coley had played that knock we'd be saying what 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 a genius knock it was how well paced it was how in slightly tricky conditions against a decent bowling attack, certainly decent seam attack, he managed to see his side home. Whereas because it's Milan, we say, well, what happens when it doesn't work? And I think he's he's got enough credit in the bank now that we have to change the narrative on that and just uh, celebrate the fact that he's, he's a fantastic T20 batsman who backs himself in pressurised situations and has the shots to play in, in different ways, not just to be that anchor at number three. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. I think that the... There are, there are two questions, really. There's, is his current form sustainable? But the other one is that I think even in this current form, there are times where his approach, I think, is likely to cost England games. I think he's been quite lucky that they haven't as much already. So, for example, in the first T20 game, a 19 off 20 in a chase of 180 odd is is potentially very damaging. It's quite lucky that wasn't a match losing innings. And 
when he was 25 or 30 in the second game, yeah, you're really worrying about how his series will look at the end of it. In the end, he has a brilliant series. And, uh, yeah, but the match situation it, has to come into it as well, doesn't it? And Roy went cheaply in, in pretty much all the games. Uh, in that first game you referred to, Butler went cheaply as well. But I can't just come in and, and have a flyer when he's coming in at number three and they're two wickets down in the first few overs. If you lose three wickets in the first five or six overs, you nearly always lose a game. That first game was very much yeah. the exception because of the way Burstow played. No, I, I, I totally agree. And I think that, uh, yeah, I thought my piece was quite balanced. It was I, really. I, yeah, I was, I was basically just highlighting the potential shortcomings of protracted slow starts. So I think we kind of get, I think the, the 10 off 10 thing that people talk about quite a lot is a bit of a red herring. The actual problem is like 20 off 20, which very few people do. 10 off 10, lots of people have those kind of starts. Um, and there's one stat that I found while writing it, which was um, he's been out with a sub 120 strike rate after having faced 10 or more balls six times in the last three years in that same period uh, Butler, Roy, and Bester have none of them have done that more than twice. Um, and I wasn't I wasn't calling for him to be dropped either. I was just highlighting the danger of someone who not infrequently is about twenty off twenty. But obviously, if he bats like he did in the last T Twenty, there's no problems at all. Yeah, and especially I mean, finishing nine nine out. You wonder because he because he got he sort of had was it on strike for the second ball of that over, yeah. so he could have sort of waited for the one that was there to hit and hit it to the boundary, but maybe had the. He said he got the maths wrong, but you wonder whether there was sort of the, the veil criticism of him not running a last ball by to protect his average in New Zealand sort of ringing and things like, well, I can't I can't stick around to to try and get my 100. I've just got to win the game as quickly as possible. And that Owen Morgan watching must have been sort of like... Well, he said as much. He that. said, uh, I didn't know how it would go down if I turned down the single. Yeah. So he's... De- I mean, but that's, that's smart. That's savvy. There are these um, perhaps unfair views of how Milan goes about his cricket and it's not a bad idea to to subvert them a little bit and and everyone has a lot of respect for a guy who finishes 99 not out um and and does it the way he did it i guess did you, did you notice though that he did look to run the second yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i guess there's 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 two things i would say about about milan one is that um i think it's kind of o- overlooked slightly in england's sort of new aggressive approach in odi anti 20 cricket how much it helps them having like such a long batting order like the fact that adil rashid was down to bat 11 in this series is ridiculous and that is something that, even though obviously you don't want to be losing loads of wickets early on, it should be something that affords you the ability to be aggressive. And that's what what England have kind of found. I was even thinking back to like you know that that first ODI or well the second ODI after that World Cup when it was like an Adil Rashid sixty odd from number eight that was what got them past four hundred, which is like just ridiculous depth, which is something that maybe means you can afford a few more risks. Uh, I guess the other thing is that it would be just interesting to see firstly whether Milan gets an IPL deal because as much as it's an approach that's working for England at the moment, it's sometimes not that that's not the type of player that IPL sides look to recruit, uh, like a sort of anchor type player who can like, a, I think they kind of feel they can f- fill that role with sort of like a domestic player and they want a, an overseas player to sort of score really quickly from, from ball one kind of thing. Uh, but then if he does get an IPL deal, how he goes there will be really interesting to see because that will be sort of a very... Like, almost more high quality than the attacks he's been facing in T20 cricket. Like, obviously, it was a good South Africa attack with some really uh, uh, good bowls in it, but they were missing almost a full strength attack. So, what, Dean Rantahir wasn't playing, Chris Morris wasn't playing, Kagisa Rabada wasn't playing, uh, Andy Petrquire wasn't playing. Uh, whereas, in, so the IPL will be sort of a concentrated thing of him playing against high quality attacks and, and also on the pitches that he's going to play in the T20 World Cup. So, that will be the the final litmus test I guess that he has to pass if he does get a deal and I think it'd be really interesting to see how he does go and if he does get a deal I guess I think yeah I mean I'd be amazed if he doesn't get a deal 
surely he gets a deal. Very hard to get an IPL deal for overseas I mean, batsmen. he might, ha- might have the issue if he gets a deal and doesn't necessarily play all that much, which we've seen with Tom Banton this time round. But I, I, think he, I think he gets a contract. I'd be surprised if he doesn't. I, th- I think it's worth saying that it is definitely working for him so far, but it is objectively a high-risk po- approach. Like we saw it in the IPL like with KL Rahul taking stow starts. If it doesn't pay off, if you get out in that 20 to 30 ball period, that can really come, by- come back to bite your team. You take up almost a quarter of your team's balls and you don't kick on for that start. That is objectively a high-risk approach, and especially with that really long batting lineup. And I think that it is. it does seem like very harsh nitpicking, but this is an England team that is absurdly talented they have so many top order options and they are you know they are so good that anything other than winning the world cup would be a disappointment so i'm kind of thinking of how could england end up not winning that world cup a david milan 19 or 20 in a world cup semi-final might be one of the ways that they end up not doing it that sounds very harsh but well the flip side is how do they win a world cup and it's maybe because he scores 99 not out coming in at number three yeah i i still don't think that he's played that many of his T20R games against the kind of attacks you will end up facing in the biz- at the business end of a T20 World Cup. Um, I think that the India tour coming up will be absolutely well, massive. Nokia just tore it up at the IPL. It's bowling 95 miles an hour. Hits him on, hits him on the chest in his first... Was, his, was it the first delivery face in his first um, innings? Yeah, ben made, not- ben made quite an interesting point on this, though. If you have even just one bowler away from a full-strength side, you have a bowler you can target. So in that last game... Milan was absolutely brilliant against Shamsi, but he was also ruthless against um, Sip Amla, the, the young quick who came in. Mm. Well, you probably won't get that in, a, in the business end of a T20 World Cup. And that can afford you, you can afford to be more cautious against the stronger bowlers and then properly target the, the, the less experienced guys. And again, I'm, let me stress this again. I'm, I think he should be inside. He's batting brilliantly at the moment. But I don't think, you know, there's a Telegraph headline that claimed that he's the best T20 bats in the world. I think, majority of the English cricket public is getting a little bit too carried away at the moment. Like, I don't think he's quite proved what people think he's proved yet. Yeah, as, as are that there are sort of, you know, people sort of uh, who say they're in the know who sort of saying like, they can't believe there was ever a debate over Milan's place in the England T20i side. And it's like, well, it like, I mean, if you think that it kind of more shows that you don't really understand T20 cricket rather than like, obviously you can fall one way or the other and not, I don't think any of us are, like, like none of us are arguing for Milan to be dropped, but I think there there is obviously a debate over the worth of of that approach. And I think that is sensible and and good. I think one thing we should say. I mean, you mentioned Kara Hall. I think what Milan has in his favour when comparing him to a player like that is that like often Kara Hall will sort of play the anchor role kind of throughout the innings, whereas Milan is incredible at catching up after he gets set. Like it's a, it's it's a bit like a, a, amazing to watch him go when he, when he's in full flow. And done. I mean. If he continues to be 14 off his first three balls every time, then there's, there's no issue. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Phil, unusually quiet. You've got Milan fatigue or T20 batting order fatigue, perhaps. I think, T20 fatigue. Yeah. I, I think you've nailed it. T20 batting order fatigue. <laughs> um, it's, oh, I've just been reflecting and lis- listening intently, boys, to, to everything that you've, <laughs> you've got to say on the matter. I, I feel like I am stuck in some kind of sort of broken record Groundhog Day type scenario. Uh, how many more T20 games do England play in the next six months? Tell me none. None? Hopefully none. There's probably not none. There's probably not none, is it? <laughs> a, few okay. in, a few in India, a few over against Sri Lanka. Yeah, over I, here. I guess so. Yeah. I guess so. Considering I'm broadly ambivalent about international teams playing T20 friendly games in effect, anyway, then, then it's probably best that I, I step away. If I can add one thing, 
just moving it along, uh, and this is a personal thing, I and something that I've discovered in recent times, watching a lot of the IPL, which I do, I did enjoy a lot. Um, I get more pleasure from watching a spinner bowl a good over than I do from watching a batsman hit three sixes of 90, 90 meters on average, uh, a reverse here, a, fl- a slap there and a hook there. I get more pleasure from watching Adil Rashid in this series than I did from watching any of the batsmen. And that includes Bairstow's excellent innings, Milan's continued brilliance, Butler's controlled class in the last last game. This is all very well. And it diverts me to a degree, a modicum. But watching Rashid gets, gives me genuine pleasure. And to see him go on smallish grounds, uh, to see him go under a runner ball across three T20 games uh, is, is a man absolutely at the peak of his powers. It was funny, actually, the other day in the third game, well, I think he went for 20 of his four overs, I think it was. And he took a two, two wickets, I think. But I was watching it while talking to Ian Salisbury on the phone, weirdly enough. And I had it on the iPad and he had it on his TV uh, back in Sussex. And, and he's the new coach at Sussex. And he, of course, will be working with Rashid Khan from next summer. And uh, and he obviously knows, forgotten more about leg spin than we'll ever understand about the, about the craft. And he, it's no great revelation, but he was jaw to the floor in awe of what Rashid is doing now. And he's bowling it almost conspicuously slowly and achingly slowly at times. And he, he remains unhittable. And it's fascinating to see, and I know we've touched on this in previous shows, but Christ, we don't get to talk about anything else, do we, in life, apart from T- T20 cricket. It's interesting to see Rashid Khan at one end of the scale who bowls 57 mile an hour on average and turns it a small amount, but just enough. And then you have at the other end of the scale, Adil Rashid and Matt Parkinson and so on who are bowling slower than, slower than ever and bucking the trend and yet Adil Rashid has it in such control and you can see how much faith he has in his own game now that uh, he is he is the real joy for me to as as we as we go through this this drudge of game after game after game after game but that's that's natural isn't it that his is the the rarer skill now i mean you you do get desensitized to batsmen launching into stands because so many of them can do it and and with such regularity whereas and it's the same with Joffre Archer at the IPL when you've got the quicks going the distance on short boundaries when you see Archer taking two for 18 off his four overs that stands out in the way that I guess the flip side when you see a batsman score a test hundred you think god that's such a hard thing to do indeed and that's a good comparison and and we've touched on this before and I you know people have written about it and I've written about it myself that the true mavericks of the modern game are those that can bat for a day those that can leave it those that can play a back foot defence those that can dodge and weave rather than flail away they're the real mavericks of the modern game um you're right what you say joe that the real standouts are your Joffre archers and your adil rashids and so on but the conversation not just in this room but generally is so weighted towards the bat at all times and the bowlers are only ever really an add-on in the conversation um and we saw it a lot in the ipl but almost perversely and you made this point a few weeks ago yes that the shorter the boundaries, the flatter the tracks, the bigger the bats, the stronger the, the batsman, the more important the bowlers become. Because if you can hold up one end and only go at a runner ball or even go at sevens or eights in the modern game, then you become absolute gold dust. Well, it's basically what Adil Rashid did this series. I mean, yeah. he went at under six and over 
Oh, Joffre Archer was the only other England bowler to go less than eight. So that is basically what he did. He, I thought it was amazing this this series, and that's following that Australia series at the end of the summer as well. He's bowling arguably the best he's ever bowled for England in white ball cricket. Yeah, well, I, I actually talked to Owen Morgan about it during the. Uh, oh, did you? Yeah, d- during the summer. Oh yeah, right. Uh, and uh, yeah, he, he, so first he, he describes Lakesman as, as variation bowlers, which I thought was uh, refreshingly modern. Right. Uh, um, but yeah, he, he, he sort of. It, explained how I think the confidence in his in his shoulder which has been rehabilitated especially in sort of a lengthy period of time off has really sort of helped his his game and like from a confidence point of view as well but in terms of that speed because he's now his shoulder's like he's fully confident in it he knows he can go quick if he needs to which actually helps him to go even slower when he wants to because he knows that if someone's like oh he's going to come really slow he's that they're, they're not going to be able to set themselves for that really slow ball because he knows he's got that quick on as well so I'll describe him as two or three variation bowlers in in one which I thought was a sounds quite handy yeah um but 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 phil is makes a really good point actually that uh uh england i mean we do we do talk about the batting order so much partly because you know there's like a kind of set lines of debate and that kind of thing but actually you know, from a pool of about 12 batsmen, whoever England pick and whatever order they pick them in, it's like a, a scarily powerful unit. Whereas actually what determines whether England are going to win the T20 World Cup or not is their bowlers, I think. And I mean, from that point of view, slightly less certain series for England. I mean, Sam Curran's been picked as this new world bowler, but doesn't actually seem to be swinging it that much. But he doesn't it's, even try to swing it. Like, no. a lot of his balls are cross-seam. And I, th- I think he's actually, it, it, because he's not swinging it, people sort of probably maybe quite like to discount him. But actually, he's a very clever T20 bowler in terms of like, he's got lots yeah, lots of variations, lots of lots of cuts, and he knows when to use them. Surprisingly but, sharp bouncer as well. Yeah, but but jo- and Joffre Archer is not, so it doesn't seem quite the same force at the death as he is opening the bowling and that was the same during the IPL as well he would often end with like have ridiculous figures after two or three overs and then actually his last over would go for 11 or 12 and be like okay that's not the, the world beating figures I thought he'd end with and Tom Curran sort of went the distance bit Chris Jordan looked 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 very good but I think that's where England really have questions to answer and it, and it struck me during over the course of the series I think there's general agreement that England need to get a second spinner in for the T20 World Cup and is it Mo and Ali? I mean, a lot of people have run out of patience and I can sympathise with that to an extent. When you see the way that Rashid goes, it must be really tempting to get Parkinson in into that side. Even if he bowls a fraction as well as Rashid, he could be so valuable. So actually, if Stokes, who's in the side as a fifth seamer at the moment, Stokes is easily good enough to be a fourth seamer. So perhaps rather than losing a batsman, you lose one of those seamers. You say Tom Curran from the side that just played South Africa. You bring in Parkinson and you don't lose a hell of a lot with your batting and you potentially gain, gain quite a lot with your bowling. It's a really interesting point though because with the six bowling options and Ben Stokes, I thought bowled really well in the middle overs when he was deployed there. And Ben, you said that you spoke to Liam Plunkett early in the year and he said that no, he was... I didn't speak to Liam Plunkett, but he was speaking on the uh, the Sky Sports Cricket show and, and they asked him, who do you think should fulfil your role for England? And he said, to be honest, the bowl they've got most like me is, is Ben Stokes in the middle overs who can sort of hit the pitch with, you know, d- d- decent pace, can kind of do the the ugly overs, I guess. And uh, and, that, and that could easily be the same in, in T20, especially if he's a six option, because uh, I think, yeah, for, for a couple of overs of Stokes, when, you know, when you just need to break the game open or you need to just throw something different at the, at the, at the batsman, I think he's a, he's a, a, a brilliant option to have for that. Could, could we just go back briefly to Moeen Ali? Um, and the point you make, Joe, is perhaps the right one. And that certainly seems to be the mood now that Moeen, he's 33 year, years old. He's he was dropped from the test setup and then took took some time away from the test game. He's in that squad almost as a ghostly figure at the moment in the one day squad. 
never really looked like he was going to get a nod in the T20s. He might get a go in one of the ODIs um, coming up, possibly. He gave an interesting interview to The Guardian, is all, last week. And he said, uh, firstly, he thanks the management for the faith that they've shown in him over the last 18 months or so. And he's absolutely desperate now to devote the next two years of his career to getting back into the setup and getting back into the first 11 um, of any of the, the formats. Uh, Adil Rashid is not going to go to Sri Lanka as, as, as a spinner as for the test side. Obviously, you're walking and all the other stuff. You're not going to go as, as a, test play, a test spinner and that was all but confirmed to me by Joe Root, name drop, Joe Root, who I interviewed earlier in the week. Um, Moeen Ali has to come back into the equation if you're thinking that England will play at least two and maybe three spinners in Sri Lanka. And I wouldn't be surprised if he does make the nod, get the nod in that test test squad. And that route, not that I asked him about this, I should have done, but I, th- I can well see him looking at it and thinking, in the end, I do need a bowler in there who is going to rag it uh, and who can do the business on the on the fourth day of a test match and so on. And he, he obviously, as we've seen with Mo in, in recent times, with the red ball, he's going to bowl. He's not as accurate as, as you'd like from a conventional off spinner, but he does rag it. He does turn it more so than Leach or Bess. Now, it may well be that he slips in their, in their shadow, but as we saw in the tour two years ago, they played three out there, three spinners out there anyway. The Moeen thing, because he's so unusual as a cricketer, and because in recent times he's been defined, or maybe not defined, but maybe his his mind has not been fully on it, having given everything for five or six years to be an England cricketer and won a World Cup and won an Ashes and so on. For him to now say say that he's desperate to get back into the fold, a cricketer as talented as that, with a record that speaks for itself, I think, 200-odd wickets, six, six uh, test hundreds, I still think he's, he will be a part of the equation going forward for England. It's hard to know with any surety where he will end up in the setup, but I would hesitate to write him off just yet. For, for the I'm record, not saying that you were. Right? No, yeah, I mean, for the Sorry. record, I, for the record, I, I, I wouldn't. Yeah, but for the people who don't think Monet should be in the side, it's becoming harder and harder to mount an argument against them. But I, I agree, I would definitely have him in Sri Lanka. But there's not much of an argument to go against him either because he's not played an enormous amount of cricket and especially when you come to red ball cricket he's not played very much red ball cricket in recent times I think it's the white ball game it's becoming increasingly difficult to say that he should be in there for any other reason than England don't have many spinners because he has actually played quite a lot and not done great but I would I think he still needs more chances because uh, for obvious reasons he's a second spinner and when he's in form he can score runs which Parkinson can't and I think I I I think the difficulty with Moeen and this is partly what we see with you know this you know weird new age that we're in and the fact that you know you have all these bio bubbles so you don't get to see teams practice in the same way that you would that it's even that makes it harder to sort of analyze how he's doing because the thing is is that off a lot of the time teams just aren't picking him like for Royal Challenge Bangalore in the IPL in the 2019 season he was one of their best players he was scoring runs really quickly he was he was bowling efficiently and just could barely get on the park this year and it's hard to like you, you, you cannot. You obviously you, you then have to read into that a bit that you know this the player in the nets is not the same player that we've you know seen be brilliant for England for for so many times. I maybe a torch flanker is is the is the time to bring him back. You know there'll be memories of you know good times past. It'll be sort of like a uh, there won't be too much spotlight on it because it's kind of just a precursor to a 
a bigger challenge in India and it'll be sort of like at weird hours as well. So there's not going to be fans on social media. I mean, not that it stops them from criticizing if they haven't watched it. But I, I think it's a good point though that potentially that those two test matches could be seen as warm-ups for the, the so-called bigger challenges to come in probably the UAE against India. Uh, and it's worth reading this Guardian article because I think he speaks with a, a degree of commitment and and focus that he hasn't really had in recent times. And he says it, he says it himself. He says mentally he struggled. He's, he says he's not been in the right space to be playing international cricket. And he says it's been a case of trying to clear the decks and go again. Um, it'd be interesting, fascinating, I think, to see how one of the great cricketers of English of the last seven or eight years in English cricket, how, how if at all, he emerges from this 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 time. And we can't overlook the fact last time England were in India, he scored two Test hundreds. I mean, not many England batsmen have done that, uh, and I know that feels like a long way away from where Moen Ali's batting is now. But as Ben says, if Sri Lanka can get him in any way near that, near that shape for an India series, then um, it's hard to overlook that. Also on that Sri Lanka tour, the Evening Standards, Will McPherson reported this week that Johnny Bairstow is in line for a recall for that test squad, for that tour. Ben, what are your initial thoughts on that? Uh, that that's my initial thought, I think. Nice. Sort of, it's a sort good of, sound. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm ignoring and, and, and kind of, kind of see, see, seeing, both, seeing both sides. I think, I mean, firstly, I mean, I don't think this in any way implies that he's going to get a straight recall to the Test 11. I mean, as, for, as all squads are these days, it's going to be quite a big group that England need to take to... Sri Lanka, um, I think that, you know, if, if there's a way to get Bairstow back in Red Bull form and back to his best, that's obviously a great thing for England. And actually, like, obviously he scored 100 in Sri Lanka three years ago, and that's, he, he was batting number three then, but basically faced no pace in that innings when he scored the 100. And he's, a, especially recently, it's become a much, much better of player of spin than of pace. So in terms of winning those two tests, I mean, you'd, you'd, I'd, to be honest, I'd back Bairstow to score more runs in Sri Lanka than Sibley and Burns right now, I think, because of, you know, his his record against that and his, his familiarity in in those conditions. Uh, in terms of a, a longer term thing, I think he'd need to, you know, sort of show that there was some sort of technical adjustment against, you know, good straight pace bowling, which has obviously been his, his downfall in recent times. But if he, if he can adjust that and maybe working with, uh, you know, test attacks, England's test attack in the nets and with England's batting coach on a Red Bull tour is the way to do that considering he's not going to get to play a huge amount of first class cricket given his other commitments if England can get you know Bairstow back as an option ahead of that Australia series in 2021 then that's huge um so yeah I, I, I don't I don't mind it I can see why people uh I don't I mean that that ask didn't mention anything either way on Ben folks I mean it might be that England are going to pick three wiki keeping options with Bairstow as also kind of a, a backup batsman um uh, but I can see why people take it as sort of like an affront to first-class cricket that like, you know, Bairstow's being picked and I don't know, Tom Lamanby isn't or whatever, but I, I don't hate it actually. I, I I think it's a good call. I've been quite, so quite, quite hard on Bairstow, the test batsman, and, and if this was the start of an English summer and he was being recalled, I would disagree a bit strongly. But I think his record against spin, his record in Sri Lanka, he also got runs when they were out in India last time. Not a big score, but he got, I think, three or four half centuries, batted really well. Um, I think there's a lot of sense uh, in this selection. Uh, I think Ben's right. He, he won't walk straight back into the eleven, but I think there's also a reasonable chance that he might play. I think they they could potentially look at dropping one of the openers, moving Crawley up and and Bairstow at three. I mean, it would be brave. I'm not saying they will do it, but it's it's worth considering. I think. Um, 
And I think it's worth saying, I mean, Will McPherson's definitely got that one right because Bairstow has pulled out of his big bash contract. Today, today. Yeah, so that's that's basically been, been confirmed that he'll be there. I guess one of the things, I mean, talking about Mo and Ali and using Sri Lanka to get back into form is also a question of how England prioritise the Sri Lanka series. Because, I mean, in terms of World Test Championship points, each of these Sri Lanka tests is more important, twice as important as the tests in India. So if, if England can win this 2-0, they can get away with like kind of like a modest hammering in India and have a chance of making the multi champion championship final. I was doing some research on this, and is this this it kind took of you hours? Yeah, this kind of all counts on New Zealand <laughs> losing a game. There's there's there's, there's, there's too, too much to, to talk about that fully. But I mean, if but so if England if their focus is on winning in India, then you'd think they'd stick with Sibley and Burns at the top to give them some practice against spin in Sri Lanka. Maybe say, okay, we can afford to. Lo- draw that series win it 1-0 but we won't pick our best team for winning that series banking on the fact that that experience will put them in good stead to be very to be opening batsmen ready to take on the Indian challenge if they want to win that series 2-0 I think you're right that Besto right now should come in and it's the same with with Monali perhaps that like uh say he needs a, a, a half a game to get back into form say and that's what they're kind of happy to give him and maybe say okay with the Sri Lanka result is less important than what goes on in India which is kind of a defining thing for Roots captaincy in a way uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they pick it, balancing the India challenge that comes right after and the World Test Championship points that are on stake, I suppose. Phil, you spoke to Joe Root this week. I think it's fair to say that Root is obviously adored by England fans because he's one of the best batsmen England have ever produced. He's their captain, World Cup winner, etc. But I think it's also fair to say that he's not quite as... I don't think people understand what his personality is like as much as other key members of the England squad at the moment, you know, Ben Stokes, Mark Wood, Moeen Ali, Joffre Arch, etc. I guess, show their personality off more. So what was it like speaking to Joe Root for 45 minutes? Oh, me and Joe go way back. <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I haven't spoken to him in a while, actually. Um, uh, we last spoke to him for the magazine, the first issue of Wisdom Cricket Monthly, so before the 2017 Ashes. Yeah. Uh, I've met him a few times over the years and and we, we trumpeted the Joe Root story early on where at a previous magazine, All Out Cricket, that Joe and I used to work at. And Ben, briefly. That's a smart move, that. Just get all the young players in. This is it, yeah. Just, just pick them all. <laughs> yeah. And eventually one of them's going to land for you. Uh, so it was a really, it was a really uh, gratifying hour or so that, that, that we, we chatted, to be fair. And it was over the phone, obviously, because um, he's out in South Africa at the minute. Um, and he... Look, he's the England Test captain, which comes with certain restrictions, I think. Uh, he, just like Cook before him, just like Strauss before Cook, uh, you you are the, the ultimate diplomat, you are the figurehead, you are not allowed, if you like, you don't have the license to get a bit funky, get a bit cheeky, use Twitter to, you know, promote your wares and so on. Um, Root began his his story with England as that cheeky, chappy uh, sort of character. And and slowly, as, as the game has done its thing and experience has, has, has landed upon his shoulders, uh, he's he's had to move that kind of element of his personality aside, I think. Uh, but you still see the, the sparkle um, with him. And that was what was encouraging about the interview that I did with him because... You haven't always seen that in press conferences in particular that he's given of late. Um, and it sometimes appeared like the job's not quite as much fun as he might have thought it was going to be. 
but the, the the kind of joie de vivre, if you like, was was definitely evident in this conversation that we had. And I and I went back to a quote that he gave me a few years ago when I asked him how the how the hell do you manage all this pressure, this scrutiny? And this was on the eve of him becoming England captain, when everyone knew he was becoming England captain. And he just said, well, "I just love it. I just love it." And he sounded like a kid when he said that that quote to me back then. Uh, and he said, "I don't want." I just have a blast every time I pull on the shirt and I don't want nerves or anything like that to get in the way of me having as much fun as I do have. And I asked him where he's at now with regards to that, that kind of elemental element, that joy, that schoolboyish joy. And he said that he's, he's re regaining that. And he's, he said he's, what's happened in the last year or so, obviously with the virus and so on, he says he's been able to reset himself a little bit. And he said he was able to work on a few technical things with the red ball during the enforced absence away from the game. And he said he was frustrated because he felt like he was playing well in his head and his feet was moving well, but he didn't quite get the scores that he was hoping for last summer. And he was quite open and honest about his record in test cricket since he became captain. He averages 42 as skipper against a career average just a tick under 49. So he knows that the, the numbers aren't there. Uh, and he was quite open about that. And he said for the first time in his career, he feels like he really has a point to prove now against it, 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 with the red ball in Test Match Cricket. Uh, and I think that's quite encouraging because when he's been asked that question in public before, he's got a bit prickly. I've sensed that he's got a bit prickly. Uh, and so for him to confront it and for that to be confronted on the back of this period of time where he has been able to to shake a few things out of what would has to be a cluttered mind because this is the nature of the beast. I think that's that bodes well. Uh, he, he, look, he might get cleaned up in Sri Lanka, albeit where he, you know, he was brilliant last time out, uh, and he might continue to to be a bit in and out as a Test match player. But I wouldn't be surprised if if uh, if the next twelve months are good for Joe Root as a batsman. Um, he, he he needs to address his is trigger movements. We were talking about this this morning. Um, and, and he knows that. And he looked a bit leaden-footed at times over the summer and before when he was batting celestially, beautifully, the feet would be alive constantly and, and he'd have such perfect balance. You didn't always see that last year. You didn't always see that either against Australia the year before, I didn't think, in 2019. So for the first time, the most unlikely sentence to say in cricket for years was Joe Root technical issues. But I think for the last 18 months, he has been wrestling a bit with his game, probably with the, the, the kind of the overwhelming elements of the job itself weighing down on him as happens with England, England captains and happens with captains throughout the game. Uh, but I'd, I'd be cautiously optimistic about, about him over the next 12 months as a batsman in particular. A few days ago, I listened to uh, an, an interview between Jamie Carragher and Stuart Broad that Joe that. has as well. It's yeah. really good. I recommend it. It's on Jamie Carragher's Greatest Game podcast. And I, they briefly talked about uh, the role of a captain in a cricket team. And I think to an outsider who knows nothing about cricket, it is a bit weird how much pressure and how much decision-making someone who actually is on the field is that a captain has in cricket compared to other sports. So I, I do wonder if long-term they'll try and strip back as much of that pressure as possible. Because it, it, it does seem just a bit... A bit harsh and a bit, a bit too much for a, a, well, quite a young man to have that responsibility. I mean, it ties into the debate that's been going on the last couple of days about these the signs from the England dressing room that they were doing in the T20 series, which some people got quite upset about. I personally didn't have any issue with at all. Um, but 
certainly in that sense, I think a good captain is going to be a good enough captain to know the matchups, have the insight. There'll be a little thing here and there which can help, but I don't think it's going to make a huge amount of difference. Uh, poor captains, if they're relying on messages from the change room, they're really going to struggle. But it is, it's a, it's a uniquely challenging job still, even though some of the off-the-field pressures have been taken off. It's not like... Uh, Graham Gooch in the day who would sort of kind of run the whole team and organise training, all that kind of stuff. You don't you don't have that, but then there is probably more media pressure. I would I would say um, certainly social media adds an element to that. There's probably more demands on on the players. I certainly you can make too much of these things, and obviously some of it is is guesswork. But I I thought there was a bit more of a sparkle about Joe Root when he came back for the second West Indies tests after the birth of his second child. He was a bit cheeky in the in the pre match press conference um, in the pre match chat with Sky and joking around with Jason Holder a bit and it just they looked like there was a bit of the old Joe Root back where it, he had just looked and understandably so a bit knackered and and not and just a bit worn down by it I think and, and it's inevitable you're going to see that in his batting as well just briefly his, history history tells us this you know Atherton by the end of it was on sleeping tablets because he couldn't sleep because of the pressures of the job Hussein fell out of the out of the job in tears in a press conference Vaughan went in tears in a press conference Cook was just worn down by the Peterson saga and by India, and in the end, just as he said, couldn't go to the well anymore. This is the nature of it. This is the nature of the job. And I asked Joe this, and and he said, "Well, thankfully, we've got someone else doing half of it, as in Morgan." And so it's not all on him, and and, and he can relax up to a point. Um, but as I, th- I think you wrote about this, Joe, recently, that um, as in Joe Harmon wrote about it recently, if, if Root stays fit till the end of the end of next year end of the ashes then he becomes England's busiest test captain he would have captained more tests than any other player in history which when you think about the relatively small time span that is crazy so then you have to think what it does to you mentally when everything is sped up and everything is condensed and 50 something test matches as just as a captain he's played 97 tests by the way and he's still 29 97 tests and he's yet to turn 30 you just imagine the the overwhelming swell in the brain that all of that in such a condensed period of time it must have that kind of effect and so i think what's happened in recent months might actually be a blessing in disguise for root yeah because i was going to say that as much as he's had time away to work on technical stuff you know just just the fact that he's had like an extended period just like off playing international cricket you know with the, with a <laughs> having a new child he can he can spend time with and sort of you know that will give you perspective and that sort of thing and it's and it's it's important not not just for his captaincy but actually i mean obviously he's 29 so you think you know he could have ages left in front of him but england should look to the history of their uh of their like recent batsmen and they, they have had very few play beyond the age of 33 34 i mean obviously the, the whole thing through cook's career was like when is he going to catch action tendulkar and he ends up quite a long way short because he and like sort of Jack's in and he's still he's still kind of like as good as ever playing for Essex, but he's just, you know, done with Test cricket. I mean, I think Nasser Hussain is the last English batsman to play past the age of thirty-four. Right. And that's that that that's I mean I mean not not that, you know, that's a pressing concern right now, but that should be in the back of England's mind that you don't you, it's not just about how many runs Root's gonna score as captain versus not as captain. It's about like a you know, the the how long this he's gonna go for in, in Test cricket altogether, I think. I, I think just finally on, on route, the dream from an England fan's perspective, I think, would be that he go, goes to Australia next year as captain, competes out there, that it's not the turnover that it's been three out of the last four out there. And what a bruising tour it was for him as skipper in twenty seventeen, eighteen. I mean he ended up on a drip in Sydney. 
um, a perfect metaphor for that tour, I always thought. And and the dream would be that he goes out there, he breaks the record for, for the, the most appearances as, a, as an England Test captain, competes out there, possibly even gets a draw, maybe even gets a win, you never know. I do think that that series will be close and I'll change my mind at least 55 times before it. And then jacks it in and then goes back into the ranks and has another two years or so cook-like. Age 31. Age 31, exactly. And then... Cleans up all the records. He's already made seven and a half thousand test runs. Cleans up all the records. Jacks it all in at thirty-four and goes and works at Sky. I mean, what a what a career! Who's who takes it on, or is that for another podcast? Oh, it was that Crawley for me? But <laughs> I know that you lot don't don't agree. Anyway, moving on. What? Why did you speak to Root? That wasn't just a catch up. That was. Oh, he's, next... he's bothering me all the time. He's WhatsApping <laughs> me in the middle of the night. Yeah, I just thought eventually I had to I had to give in. That was for the next issue. It's for the next issue of All Out. Oh, God. (laughs) There's a Freudian. Next issue of Wisdom Cricket Monthly magazine. Before we go on to the Australia series, a few Christmas gift suggestions for our listeners. All of these have been produced by the Wisdom family. All can be bought from wisdom.com forward slash shop. So there is the Wisdom Ale gift pack that comes with collectible beer mats that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. The Wisdom Spirits. Can also be found there. A Wisdom Cricket Monthly annual subscription. If you haven't got one of those already, why not? Yeah, pull yourself together. Wisdom t-shirts that commemorate England's 2019 World Cup win. And an exciting new book released oh. this week called Golden Summers. Take it away, Joe. Uh, well, we're quite proud of this one. So My Golden Summer is a, a series, a long-running series, which any readers of Wisdom Cricket Monthly or even prior to that, All Out Cricket will be familiar with been going for a long long time um and phil and i have always thought it would make a nice book uh and we've turned it into one uh so <laughs> we've, nice we've picked out we've picked out the best of the lot over the last what five years and we've also got a few fresh ones in there mark woods talked us through that world cup winning summer heather knights talked us through her world cup winning summer ted dexter takes us back a few years and um, we've got pat murphy the bbc broadcaster Tom Holland, the historian. So it's not just people within cricket, it's people outside of cricket. Essentially just describing the, the defining summer of their cricketing experience, whether they played in it, whether they watched it, whether they were on the other side of the world following it over the radio. It's still probably my favourite feature in the magazine. It's one I always look forward to coming in each month. That is uh, available to purchase from wisdom.com forward slash shop. So get your copy ahead of Christmas. Moving to Australia, as we mentioned in the intro, we got our predictions for this one badly wrong on last week's show. Australia won the first two ODIs fairly comfortably and ended up winning the series 2-1. Steve Smith scored a pair of 62-ball hundreds, which is rather ominous for the winter ahead. Glenn Maxwell and Aaron Finch bounced back from fairly ordinary IPLs to have excellent series. It turns out you can't, or you shouldn't really use T20 form to predict how people will perform in ODIs. Ben, what's your moment of the week? Well, it's 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 fr- from the ODI series, but from from the stands when we uh, the cameras cut to a, uh, a an Indian fan proposing to his uh, sort of Australian kit clad uh, partner, which was nice seeing. At least at least one Indian fan was uh, was having a good time that day. I mean, the uh, the the other talking point from the ODIs was was everyone was going about how slow the over rates were, and the so the the obvious joke was that they'd uh, they'd met at the beginning of the second ODI and had their entire courtship over the the course of the first innings and a half, and then a. Uh, and then he just popped the question in there in the middle overs of, a, wow. <laughs> of an ODI. That, uh, that proposal, I wasn't sure that was genuine. Oh, really? <laughs> well, it just looked a bit staged okay. to me. You've had a rough couple of years, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> just throwing it out there. But so why, 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 why do you think... It looked a bit artificial. I mean, it looked like she knew what was coming. I, 
I don't know. Look, I hope they live happily ever after, but it just didn't feel quite right to this, me. This is the content wow. I'm here for. I, 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 haven't, <laughs> I haven't seen this, um, obviously, but I'm going to have to check this out now and make my own judgments. Glenn Maxwell applauded, so he was obviously more convinced than, uh, than you. Or he's on it, in on it as well. Yeah, true. And, and actually, Ramesh Ranganathan yeah, raked bit. in the Twitter likes afterwards for uh, because, I mean, he, he saw a resemblance between him and the man who proposed and there was a sort of a screen grab of them just like about to kiss so he said he was going to be spending Sunday explaining that photo to his wife <laughs> uh, <laughs> does look a lot like Roma Dragon Ranganathan yeah but but maybe he set the whole thing up with a with, with a body double so that he could sort of orchestrate is, this, uh, this social footage. media power grab there's yeah. YouTube footage of, of always blokes getting caught out isn't it yeah <laughs> suddenly they see that they're on the big screen and, and what they've been canoodling and suddenly they just take a step back and look down at the floor knowing full well what's going to be conveyed back to the, their partners back elsewhere yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe it is is Ramesh after all. Maybe, although yeah, he's a Sri Lanka fan, so that would be a he'd, he'd have picked the wrong game. He should, he should have pr- really proposed in the the uh, the afternoon session of the England Sri Lanka Test series <laughs> in the background <laughs> there. <laughs> um, my, my moment of the week was was also from that series. It was uh, Shreyas Iyer speaking after the second ODI, and he'd been bounced out in the first and second game. Um, and he commented that he was honoured and overwhelmed that Australia had, de- had devised a strategy just for him. So I was wondering what other things that go badly for you, you could, could you respond by saying that you are honoured and overwhelmed? Like you've just been fired from your job and you say you're honoured and overwhelmed that your bosses spent so much time thinking about you and your future. Um, I thought that was bizarre and possibly not great for him long term. Um, the Steve Smith thing is interesting, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, 260 ball, two ball hundreds. Yeah. Uh, especially as he was written off by certain pundits before the World Cup in 2019. Don't as, them. Yeah, they were. And I did a podcast with with a very successful ex-England off-spinner who, who told me in no uncertain terms, because I dared to say that he might be quite a useful player in 50-over cricket, that I was talking out of my arse. Let's not go down this route. No, 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 it's still, but, it's he, still raw. But he wasn't alone. He wasn't alone. And there was that notion that Smith's style was maybe of a different time and that the game had moved on a little bit. and it's uh, underestimating well, the man, isn't it? It's somewhat, yeah. Absolutely yeah. brutal of James Treadwell, that. <laughs> <laughs> Moving to New Zealand. New Zealand that'd be nice. beat oh, that'd be great. West Indies be 2-0 in a very high-scoring T20i series. Lockie Ferguson took extraordinary figures of 5-21 in the first game when West Indies had scored 176 in just 16 overs. And in the second game, Glenn Phillips scored 100 as New Zealand hit 2-3-8 in the third game was a washout. Joe, quite encouraging signs for New Zealand. Yeah, well, we did our um, T20 World Cup preview a year before the tournament a few weeks back. And uh, I think we kind of fell down on, you never discount New Zealand, but they lacked a couple of powerful batsmen. But but Conway coming through and, and, uh, and Phillips as well, who obviously smashes it. That's what New Zealand have lacked, a bit of that uh, firepower. Uh, and a couple of quality batsmen, and they, they look—I mean, they always look like a solid side, but they look like they might have a bit more X factor, as they as they say about them. Uh, and Lockie Ferguson, one of the best white ball bowlers in the world, has, has proven that over a couple of years now. Uh, did well in the IPL and is doing well against West Indies. Bit of a shame it wasn't the strongest West Indies side. They're lacking quite a few of their their star names. Chris Gale, I think, is still not being picked, um, which is. Slightly odd. He said he's available. I'm sure he'll be in that T20 World Cup. I'd be amazed if he's not. And uh, the West Indies coach wasn't quite sure where all his players were. Yeah, well, Andre Russell, they were sort of they sort of said we gave all the players a chance to opt out of the series if they wanted to. So Andre Russell opted out and they're like, okay, well, whatever you need to do to sort of get yourself right. And then 
Turns up he's playing in the uh, in in the LPL, and then Phil Simmons asked about this in the press conference. Said I had no idea he was doing that. That's uh, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, uh, but I mean that's just it could, could easily be a miscommunication from the LPL rather than from Russell because it's been a, a a very funny start to the tournament. But then there was a Freedy who uh who missed his flight, uh, so he was post missed the first game, then turned up just before, and then took a test that showed he had antibodies already, so was able able to leave, and then and then smash a, a half century at the age of a. Uh, uh, 24 half century, I think, at the age of 40 uh, or 45, depending on who you believe. So. By the way, it's 24 years after he first played international cricket. Yeah, so. which is crazy. Yeah. Impressive. Um, and then from New Zealand to the USA, Ben, there have been some interesting developments around US cricket in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, well, so the, the start was that they've announced they've sort of they've acquired this uh, former minor league baseball stadium in, I think the the, the town is, is Grand Prairie in Texas, which is obviously obviously already beautifully american uh the mayor so i was on a zoom call a zoom press conference with loads and loads of people involved in this the mayor is called ron jensen and i can't remember if he was wearing a 10 gallon hat on the zoom call but i'd be shocked if he didn't own one uh but it imagined it yeah exactly <laughs> yeah uh but it was uh no it was it was it was it was fascinating and they're very ambitious uh the uh, usa cricket they you know they want to be a full member by 2030 they want to host world cups b- before then uh, but and but I think and it's a huge rise from where they were sort of five years ago. So they were suspended by the ICC for just basically like gross mismanagement, essentially uh, in 2015. And then it was the USA Cricket Association who were expelled from the ICC. Uh, at which point it was only in January 2019 that USA Cricket was officially admitted by the ICC as an associate member. So for them to to come from there to now, and I think I think that it, it, what this feels like is so so the major league cricket will be the the big tournament that they're hoping to to sort of set up and they've got uh the owners of the Kolkata Knight Riders and other Knight Riders franchises are setting up I think it's going to be the LA Knight Riders so there's obviously big investment coming from overseas and they obviously they're you know prudent businessmen in, in charge of that franchise so they obviously will be liking what they see if they're content to kind of in, invest in that way and I think that a, a, a T20 competition because I think USA cricket from uh, a national team point of view have been criticized for sort of just trying to get like expats essentially to join their team and not going into communities enough and sort of growing the game from, from like a grassroots level but actually a, a t20 tournament with sort of a like a few high profile names but actually a lot of you know domestic talent could be the the way to go about growing the game it seems like the there's also uh, sammy aslam if you remember him the uh pakistan opener who briefly frustrated england on the 2016 tour uh is moving to the u.s to um to join the uh, the USA team that's not not fully confirmed but there's been reports of that and it seems like he's pretty unhappy with his sort of mistreatment by the the Pakistan team so that's uh, uh he keep maybe maybe he can do for cricket what David Beckham did for soccer in the US <laughs> who knows <laughs> and finally Phil what's your moment of the week blimey uh, I was on the uh the zoom version of the chance to shine awards night uh which is normally held at Lords in November and normally the most uh, enjoyable and moving uh, night that Laws puts on, uh, I would say. Um, and yeah, it's it followed familiar themes as ever, you know, just these immense local heroes really doing amazing work for the charity, taking cricket into parts of the parts of the country that have been neglected for too long and 
charities. As people know, most people will know, it was set up about 15 years ago. It's now reached 5 million kids in 16,000 different school stroke communities. It works closely with a number of schools, but a number of clubs as well. And within it, there are these amazing human stories that really put into context for me uh, who should bat three or four for England um, in a T20 cricket match. And the, the story that really jumped out for me uh, was is a girl called Faiza Hashmi, 18-year-old from Birmingham, who was awarded the Young Leader of the Year. And her story is uh, incredibly moving, really. And uh, she's suffered quite badly during her teenage years with anorexia, depression, autism, and joined this street cricket program in Birmingham, brought along her cricket bag, and the coach said, that's great, we just put your bag to one side because you're going to be more involved now with the, with the group. And she's moved over the last two or three years to become a leader of this, this group of girls. Most of them are teenagers. Most of them are of uh, British Asian background. And uh, they, they come together and play cricket every week. And... Um, she was quite open. She said, that, I mean, it's a, it's a quote that breaks your heart. She said, it's like a hole in me has been filled, she said. Uh, and she speaks on the video that is available on YouTube and on Twitter from via the Chance to Shine handles and so on. She speaks so eloquently and so movingly about the power that the game has had. And there is no, no suggestion of, of front or showiness to it. Um, and this is what the charity does. It reaches reaches people and it changes people's lives. And I know that's a schmaltzy thing to end the show, but that's the reality of it. And that's what they do do. Uh, people forget about it a little bit, really. We get so worked up in the churn of cricket and and, and you know the, the professional game. But this is where this is where it's really happening for me. And and it was a really quite a powerful night, um, albeit staring at a computer screen rather than looking out at Lords. No, that is a very, very nice way to end the show. Thanks, Phil, Joe, Ben. This has been the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, tell your friends. And if you're feeling especially nice, why not leave us a five-star review on the podcast app. And remember those Christmas gifts. Cheers. Podcast Network.